This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, everybody? It's Marcus Grant. It's Matt Harmon. Mike, the fantasy hitman, right? From NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network. From the Fantasy Footballers Podcast. And you listen to the No Halftime Podcast. You are listening to the No Halftime Podcast. You are listening to the No Halftime Podcast. You know what it is. No, 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 no Halftime. Welcome back to the No Halftime Podcast. I'm your host, Neil. And with me is Matt Kelly of Roto Underworld and play, Player Profile Fame. How are you doing today, sir? Yes, thank you. Great <laughs> introduction. Appreciate it. Love No Halftime. I'm excited to talk to you. Absolutely. And, you know, I try to do the introductions, man. I know a lot of people like to list off people's achievements and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, it's kind of awkward, man. It's not organic. You know, it's like, I don't get too crazy. Get right to it. Yeah. So, hey, I'm talking to Matt Kelly right now. What's up, man? <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of getting right to it, I do want to kind of jump right into a fire with you, which is, um, you know, fantasy sports obviously is a really, it's a, it's a fun industry. It's a lot of fun, good people. Um, a lot of people that work really hard at this, but you know, for those who listen to your I podcast, mean, they, maybe a few, a few, exactly. I mean, it's fantasy sports. <laughs> I mean, no one's working that hard. Super, not super hard. <laughs> I mean, even if you worked 16 hours at fantasy sports, did you really work hard? This is true. I mean, this let's slow down. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, this, that's that's where this is kind of going with with your last episode. Well, depending on what people will listen to this, but your episode, Tom Brady, Vampire Juice episode. Um, you know, you got a little Denzel Washington in there, man. You were man on fire, straight on mission to slaughter some people there uh, on an article about Jamal Williams. Oh, yeah. We roasted some folks. It, it was we fun. Were roasting. It we was were fun. roasting marshmallows. We had the s'mores out. We had the the Hershey bar. You know, you get the, just the classic milk chocolate Hershey bar. And you kind of set it on the rocks next to the fire to let it get nice and soft. And then we, we did the same with the, uh, the granola, not the granola, the, uh, yeah, granola, is it a, is it a, the, the, it, uh, the granola bar? Uh, no, it's not a granola. What is it? A gram, gram, gram cracker. cracker. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It had my G, uh, you know, sort of, uh, crunchy carbohydrates mixed up starting with the letter G. Anyway. <laughs> you have your graham cracker on the rocks as well, so it's getting a little bit toasty. It's not getting too charred; it's getting a little bit toasty. There's your your chocolate is is starting to get soft, and this is all the while you are toasting your marshmallow. Now it's very important to toast the marshmallow slowly above the fire. You never stick it into the fire, and you don't want it up too high either to get smoky. You just want it right at the peak, at the peak of the fire, like at the tip of a mountain. That's where it's the warmest, and you can kind of just in and out, in and out, in and out. Don't let it catch fire. In and out, in and out. And then suddenly you'll realize that there's this crisp forming around, right? So there's this crispy exterior shell that's not black. It's brown forming around the marshmallow. At that point, you remove it from the stick, and you put it between those graham crackers with the, the, start, the, the soft but not melted chocolate on top. 
And then you'll realize as you squish the two graham crackers together that it, it, it has liquefied inside that marshmallow. So then you have a liquid marshmallow with the soft chocolate mixing together. So you have a chocolate marshmallow mix with the, the perfectly toasted graham cracker. And, and that is the, just a perfectly roasted s'more similar to that's the, that's, that's the, with the, that's the similar precision that I took in roasting people on my last podcast. Go to iTunes, Roto Underworld Radio. Check out Tom Brady Vampire Juice to learn how to roast people the right way in fantasy football. Because what do we criticize? We criticize actions. We criticize analysis. We don't make fun of people. We don't call people names. That's not the way to go. If you criticize analysis, you criticize actions, you'll always be on the right side of history. It's a lost art. You've mastered it, man. You've mastered yeah. it. But I had to ask you this, though. When, when you do episodes, roast folks, man. When, when you roast people roast like marshmallows, foods. when you roast them like that, do you, get, do you get more flack for it or do you get more people who like liked it? Oh, no. Here's the best. You want to know the best feedback from these roasts? It's when people affiliated with that person jump into your DMs and say, yo, bro. I totally agree with what you said. <laughs> that guy represents my website, and I totally agree with you. Oh my! That's God. the best. They're like, dude, you don't even know. You don't even know the half of it. So you have these backstabbers just jumping on in my DMs. They just want to make sure that, that they know that I know that they know that I know that they know that I know. Love that. That's my favorite. So no, no, because... I'm just telling the truth. Right. I'm not making anything up. If someone goes out and and writes blatant falsehoods about Aaron Jones and I go out and set the record straight, there's no one would have an issue with that. Even the individuals I'm criticizing, if they have the proper perspective and you know they they, they see the big picture, they realize, "Oh, I'm getting uh I'm getting some some uh, some attention from this right this is moving the needle for me as well uh, this is publicity for me so this is a win for everyone it's always a win when you are uncovering the truth and setting the record everybody wins even the person who you're criticizing because they're getting additional exposure and in some cases they learn lessons i've had beefs podcast beefs and twitter beefs that after they're settled, the person comes back three months later, follows me, and sends me an email just basically saying, hey, man, I, I've done a lot of thinking, or in the last three months, I've started to see things from a different perspective, and I want to be clo more closely affiliated with you. And we've had people that we've roasted just come full circle, and a year later, come on the podcast as a guest host. That's another favorite of mine. So the when marshmallow comes back. The, the roastee <laughs> becomes the co-host. Love that. <laughs> well, it's fun. That's for sure. It's definitely fun. And I think I think everybody would have agreed with your take, even Jamal Williams himself, probably. It was it was pretty strong. So now again, if you're out here calling people names, then that's not going to fly. Right. Then you're going to get you're going to get that person uh, is going to be is going to be necessarily agitated for good reason. All that person's, everyone that's affiliated with that person 
or uh, has an affinity for that person is is then going to be your enemy. And so that's just that's just not the way to go. Calling people names is never the way to go. But if you're just cool, cold and clinical, then you're that's that's the way to roast people the right way because it's a public medium. Like we're all public people. I mean, a podcast might only get, let's say, uh, 5,000 listens, right? But you're on Twitter. You're writing articles on a public website. You're putting your voice out there to the airwaves on iTunes. You're a public figure. So we're all exposing ourselves and putting ourselves out there and are susceptible to criticism. So if you're going to go out there and you're going to besmirch the great name of Aaron Jones, you need to do that with the understanding that it could blow back at you if what you're saying is not factual. You got to come correct. You got to come correct. You got to come correct or you get turned into a marshmallow. Dude, you get- <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Turn you into a marshmallow. <laughs> All gooey on the inside. <laughs> well, I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was entertaining. I definitely recommend anybody you know who hasn't listened, obviously, to your podcast, period. That's a great place to start if they haven't. Um, I'll tell you one other thing. I do get excited for those shows. So I have this show sheet, this master show sheet that I keep. Mm-hmm behind the scenes with all of my show related notes and all the ideas that I have for segments and everything. And sometimes I'll have an idea for a segment that I don't actually implement on the show. I don't bring it forward for a month. It's just sitting on my master sheet as an idea for the future. It's kind of like how a comedian would work out bits. They have a notebook like Jerry Seinfeld famously has notebook reams and reams and reams of notebooks. And he's never sure when he's going to roll out a joke. Well, I have certain topics that I'm never sure when I'm going to roll them out, but the day I decide that I'm going to roast someone, I can tell you the night before, I'm excited. (laughs) It feels like Christmas to me. Like I'm already tingling, right? And when I wake up, I wake up with my eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling, and I just, I just, I, I sit up straight in bed in the morning and I go, oh, I cannot wait to get in front of the microphone today. (laughs) Juices are flowing. Yes. So that is, that I, I, that is, that is a, that is an adrenaline rush for sure. When I, when, when I'm up, when I start going down the road and I begin the segment and I know that 60 seconds from now, someone's about to get roasted. Oh, I'm yeah, tingling. When, when you, when you release, when you hit that button to release the episode, you're like, Oh yes. It. Oh, and when you hit the app, yes, <laughs> yes. When you hit the publish button. Oh yes. It goes out into the world. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, <laughs> tingle. Classic, classic. Well, it's fun. That's fun. I, I, I appreciate that you how do that. Do you, though. Man, how, how do you do 500 shows without it, it, it being sort of inspired by something, uh, moving the needle emotionally, right? It needs to. You can't just grind out shows without some, uh, without some sort of visceral, re- getting a visceral response in the process. And as long as I get that every five or ten shows, that's what sustains me. Nice. It's a, I'm telling you, man, it's a, it's an art. There's a lot of a lot of robots out there right now just spewing numbers and stuff, and uh, you've mastered. You the- what I'm saying is, you can't do that forever. Right, right. Absolutely. You just can't be sort of a, a wooden sports host 
and just go down through the box scores, right? Or just go through the upcoming matchups and, or, and, and just regurgitate the things others are saying forever. After 40, 50 shows, it starts to get really tiring and you just eventually, you just peter out. You I see guess. a lot of podcasts. You can search fantasy football podcasts on iTunes and you can see hundreds of ancient podcasts, right? It's like looking <laughs> through like the like fossil records of old podcasts from times gone by. I mean, it's amazing to think of all the names, right? Like the Beer Buddies Fantasy Football Podcast or whatever. There's been hundreds that have come and gone and didn't really make a mark in in the historical record of fantasy football. But I'm proud to have done that with Roto Underworld Radio. And I think you're doing that with Clock Dodgers as well. I appreciate it, man. That's what we're trying to do here at No Halftime, too. You know, we'll see what we we'll see what happens. Yeah, getting this No Halftime ship off the ground, right? Exactly. Love. Exactly. So we'll see what happens. But let's do this. Let's get off of this. Let's get off the marshmallows. You've roasted them. And definitely, if they want more marshmallows, go to your episode. Um, let's talk some football really quick. Um, let, let, I, I, I want to start this because right now everybody is still on the whole rookie thing. I feel like everybody is still talking about rookies because it's got us excited still. So everyone's talking about rookies, but I, I just want to get two rookies from you. One that you feel people are are way too excited about and they shouldn't be, and one on the flip side that they aren't that they aren't excited enough about and they should be. Well, I'll start with the first one. My highest owned player that is being drafted in the first two rounds is Royce Freeman. And I just did the calculus on this yesterday. I just ran the numbers. And by far and away, my highest owned player drafted in the first 20 picks Mm -hmm. is Royce Freeman, and it's not even close. I have him on 75% of my rosters just because for some reason, and it was just fortunate for me, in single quarterback leagues, I was typically drafting around pick 7, 8, 9, and he was always available to me there. Right. And then in the Superflex and the two QB leagues, I was often drafting in the 11th spot or the 12th spot because you know what that means. Championships! <laughs> Championships. And because the quarterbacks go early in those formats, there was Royce Freeman in the 11th spot and the 12th spot. So it was just auto-pick Royce Freeman there every time. And I think Sony Michelle was one of the reasons why Royce Freeman was available because Sony Michelle's always going so early, sometimes top five. One time I saw him go number two overall. The, the thirst was real for a piece of that Patriots backfield. Not in a super flex scenario, but in one league that I was in in a single quarterback scenario, Sony Michelle went number two. And I understand the upside of Sony Michelle. Sure, if the coaches end up giving him 25% or 25 touches a game, I should say, you know, that, that would be amazing. Right. But if they give him a a 75% opportunity share, that would be incredible. Right. But I don't think the Patriots have given any running back a 75% opportunity share since perhaps Corey Dillon. So that's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. No one would be surprised. No one, one person would be surprised if a Rex Burkhead was the team leader in opportunity share, including red zone opportunities. And also no one would be surprised if James White received more targets than Sony Michelle. So this is the definition of a touch squeeze in year one for Sony Michelle right off the bat. 
So if you're starting your career in a touch squeeze, then I'm not going to be drafting you in a rookie draft because my goal in rookie drafts is to either stash a talent that I believe has the ability to be one of the best in the league in the later rounds, even if there's no opportunity whatsoever. So like a Justin Watson, for example, right. I believe there's no opportunity whatsoever for him this year based on the depth chart in Tampa. But I think just based on his talent profile alone in a vacuum, he could be a WR1 one day in the NFL. So I'm happy to stash him in the fourth round. But otherwise, if I'm drafting in the, in the earlier rounds, I want players that I think will accrue value in year one. What is the point of drafting a wide receiver in the first round when almost all wide receivers, especially those drafted in the last three years, have all declined in value from their rookie season to their second season in the league, in dynasty leagues? What are you accomplishing by drafting a wide receiver in the first round? Sure, I could have had Christian Kirk in a lot of these leagues, and I like Christian Kirk in the long run just as much as I like Royce Freeman. But hell if I'm drafting Christian Kirk in year one <laughs> when you can have Royce Freeman, and Royce Freeman could easily go out and have – the same season that Le'Veon Bell had as a rookie, or even better, a season like Kareem Hunt in a workhorse role for a team that I believe is has an offense that will experience a renaissance this year. What You have to agree that Case Keenum is a massive upgrade at quarterback. And anytime you get a massive upgrade in quarterback, you're immediately in the running to be one of the most improved offenses in the league. And that's the offense that Royce Freeman is stepping into. And there's no competition on that depth chart for the primary back role. It's his job. The moment he was drafted, it was his job. I don't care if he was a third-round pick or a first-round pick. Sony Michelle was drafted in the first round. Royce Freeman was drafted in the third round. But I think Royce Freeman has a better overall talent profile in a vacuum. And then when you look at the situation, he's scheduled to be the primary back, the workhorse in Denver. Whereas, no, again, no one would be surprised if Sony Michelle finished the season number three on that depth chart in running back touches. Right. I definitely agree with you. And the thing that, you know, everyone keeps talking about Booker, but like Booker, we've been saying this for like three years now. Like he's not a thing in Denver. Do you know what I mean? Like he's a satellite back. He's <laughs> yeah. going to be in there on third down. He's going to be available. The one thing that's nice about, nice about Booker is he's a 220 pound satellite back. So he can actually pass block if necessary. And we know that the baby caveman NFL coaches love that. They love the pass blocking. Even though there's a pass blocking fallacy, all a running back needs to do is flare out. And they can help their quarterback just as well by flaring out like Theo Riddick or if they stayed in and pass block like a Matt Asiata. It doesn't matter. You're helping your quarterback either way. Get that running back flaring out. But that's the nice thing about Devontae Booker is he can do both. He's a slick receiver. He's a good pass blocker. So you know he's going to have a role. He'll get a 30% opportunity share, but then the rest of it is going to cascade down and fall on the shoulders of Royce Freeman. And when you look at Royce Freeman's profile on playerprofiler.com, he looks the part of an every-down workhorse in the NFL. His best comparable player is Steven Jackson because of that great size-adjusted agility. You love a player that's 230 pounds with incredible lateral quickness. 1106, 83rd percentile agility score for Royce Freeman at 230 pounds. He's more agile than some running way in under 200 pounds. Think about that. That's why we size-adjust our players at playerprofiler.com with metrics like speed score. 
another metric where Royce Freeman is above the 80th percentile. And this is from a player who is also the most productive runner of any running back in this draft class. Did Saquon Barkley rush for more yards than Royce Freeman at the college level? No. Did Darius Geis? No. Did Nick Chubb? No. Did Sony Michelle? No. Did Ronald Jones? No. Did Karrion Johnson? No. So he's both big, athletic, and was a dominant producer at the college level. What's not to like about Royce Freeman? I agree, man. I agree. So is there a player that people do like, like you like Royce Freeman, that you don't like? Yeah, Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle. Okay, that was the dichotomy. Oh, okay, so Sony Michelle is that guy. No, okay. Listening to the, you not listening to everything I said. I listen. I listen. I thought you, you were know, trying to. I keep... said Sony Michelle. <laughs> I started by knocking down Sony Michelle. You didn't bash him then, enough for me, Matt. It wasn't enough. It wasn't Royce enough. Royce Freeman. But there's other players that are available later that I'm also not understanding the fascination of. So, for example, I'm in a lot of two tight end leagues or uh, tight end premium leagues. And I keep seeing Mike Gusecki getting drafted in the second round while Dallas Goddard is in the third round. And, and again, you typically do not want to draft a player with a, an inferior talent profile around before the player with the superior talent profile. Dallas Goddard is the class of this tight end class. It's not a quality tight end class. Right. Remember a few years back, the Hunter Henry tight end class, the Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper tight end class. Well, Dallas Goddard is the Hunter Henry of this class. Mike Gusecki might, 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 if things break right, be the Austin Hooper of this class. And we're already seeing news from Miami that he's not ready, that he's not picking up the offense quickly enough. He's not a quality blocker. And you need to be able to block edge rushers to be at every down tight end in the league. And if you're not an every down tight end, you're not fantasy relevant. So Mike Gusecki's not going to be fantasy relevant this season. He's not Evan Ingram. It's not going to happen for him this season. And if it's not going to happen for him this season, and it's not going to happen for Dallas Goddard because he's behind Zach Ertz, you might as well take the better player. So go Dallas Goddard. This drafting of Mike Gusecki in the second round is stupefying to me when you have quality running backs and receivers available. You can't draft Mike Gusecki over Christian Kirk, over Anthony Miller, over Michael Gallup. These are wide receivers that could command a significant target share and accrue value in year one. We already know it's almost a certainty that Mike Gusecki will decline in value from year one to year two. You might as well go ahead and trade for him next year in Dynasty. But if I'm going to stash a tight end on my taxi squad, it's going to be the better talent. It's going to be Dallas Goddard because anything could happen. Right. Zachers can get a massive concussion. He could blow it. He could blow it as ACL, get a high ankle sprain. Tight end is the most injury prone position in all of sports, not just football. So you draft Dallas Goddard knowing tight end is a brutal position to play. And then all of a sudden, Zach Ertz gets hurt like a lot of these tight ends get hurt. And now you have the primary tight end in the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Oh, my God. <laughs> Goddard, get Dallas Goddard. Goddard might outperform uh, Gusecki as a backup even. Oh, yeah. Don't be surprised because – you know that the Eagles like to run 12 personnel, so he just might get on the field enough and catch enough touchdowns and 12 personnel along the goal line that 
he outscores Mike Gusecki anyway. Totally possible. Totally, totally possible. possible. Totally possible. See, all because of Sonia Michelle, I had to make you pull out Gusecki, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there's plenty of players that I'm not <laughs> drafting. I'm also not drafting Ronald Jones either. Really? Because Ronald Jones is too small to be considered a primary workhorse back in the NFL. And I'm not drafting a hybrid satellite back, a back that looks a lot like Kenyon Drake. Was anyone drafting Kenyon Drake in the first round a few years back? They no. They're both second-round picks. So why am I drafting Ronald Jones? This is a player with a satellite back build who doesn't catch passes. You think I'm going to draft him before I'm going to draft Royce Freeman? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> doesn't make sense. All it right. doesn't make any sense. There are red flags around. There's a lot of Ronald Jones is a very polarizing player because he is on the polls. His metrics are on the polls. He has an incredible breakout age, right? He is one of the youngest players in this draft class. His age-adjusted production was impressive at USC. But then on the other hand, you have a slight BMI and an inability to catch passes. So until he demonstrates significant pass-catching capabilities at the NFL level, I'm not going to be a believer that this guy can be a, a dominant runner, can be the next Jamal Charles. It's, it's a, you have to ignore the red flags and go straight to best-case scenario in order to draft Ronald Jones and Sony Michelle in your rookie drafts, where it's it's a much more humble approach and a much uh, a more sort of risk-averse right, approach to go ahead and draft proven workhorses like a Rashad Penny and a Royce Freeman, and to a lesser extent, Karrion Johnson. Even Karrion Johnson carries less risk than a Ronald Jones and a Sony Michelle. That's fair. Makes sense. Let me ask you one guy, because uh, my co-host, Bruce, who's normally on here with me, he loves Jalen Samuels. Is there anything sure. there, man? Is there, For you, are you more on the side of Jalen Samuels, or do you have something here that we can bash Samuels for to kind of drive Bruce crazy? Well, on our player rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have rookie rankings, and Jalen Samuels is in the top 20. So I like Jalen Samuels in a vacuum. He's just parked behind Le'Veon Bell. However, Le'Veon Bell is destined to hold out, and he only has a one-year contract because he's been franchise tagged. So this next year could be the year that the Steelers opt not to franchise Le'Veon Bell, and then it's absolutely wheels up for Jalen Samuels. We talked about size-adjusted speed. Well, 105.9, 81st percentile speed score for Jalen Samuels is in you know 80th percentile. Right. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that guy. Now, his best comparable is Marcel Reese, but that's not in a bad way. There are some running backs that are compared to other running backs that were not necessarily productive at the NFL level, but it, it's not a slight to be comparable to Marcel Reese. Anyone that's familiar with Marcel Reese's game knows that he was a talented running back, the quintessential Swiss Army knife talent at the NFL level. And if used differently, or at least more frequently, you could absolutely see Marcel Reese being a fantasy factor on a weekly basis. That's just not how he was used. If Le'Veon Bell is not brought back or if he's hurt this year, 
you can see Jalen Samuels. You can see Jalen Samuels at least being a satellite back in a committee with James Conner. But I like Jalen Samuels because I think that he's a better talent than James Conner. He has Conner's size, but he also played tight end and H back at NC State. So he has the receiving skills that Conner doesn't. So if I have to pick a winner in that backfield post Le'Veon Bell, it's absolutely Jalen Samuels. Well, Bruce might have something right there, man. Bruce might have something right. Player profile says he does. Um, all right, so let, let's run through some quick things here because we do have some questions that were sent over, so I want to get to those. Um, let's jump to those really quick first just so I don't miss them. Um, your boy Eric McClung asks, late-round quarterbacks, Alex Smith, Eli Mann, or Mitchell Trubisky? I like Mitchell Trubisky just because of the, the upside. Eli Manning and Alex Smith are going to be streamers this year. We know that. So why am I drafting a streamer in my draft? That's a wasted draft pick. I can just pick him up. After week one, when you want to <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Why am I doing that? Whereas Mitchell Trubisky is going to be drafted by some team in your fantasy football league, most likely, because some teams draft two quarterbacks. I know it's not recommended, but it's becoming in vogue. And, and sometimes it, it, in a deeper league, it makes sense. You could pick the winner after week one. And what even though you could start the season thinking you were streaming, and then your quarterback does so well in week one, you realize, oh, wait, I don't have a streamer. <laughs> right. I have an every week starter on my hands. Yay! And that could be Mitchell Trubisky. It, it's much harder to see Alex Smith or Eli Manning being that guy. Makes sense. Makes sense. Next one is from Brad Duff. Um, he just wants to know in Dynasty Startups, is your style more of a um, aggressive, you know, kind of trade my future picks for young players that I like right now? Or are you more the opposite where you just kind of – you know, rather try to get future picks and kind of, you know, take that advantage at it. Cause some people don't even care about the future picks, which, which way do you prefer typically to attack a startup? Yeah. The humble approach is to trade back is to trade back to recognize that we don't know how these players are going to perform this year. And it's even more difficult to project them for the entire career. That's the difference between dynasty and redraft is that there's a lot at stake in Dynasty because you're drafting these players for life. And there's a lot more uncertainty because we don't know what they're going to do in three years. We don't know where these players are going to be. Are they Are going to retire early? We don't know. So it's very tricky. Knowing how tricky it is, how difficult it is to project these players and forecast their production, what's the answer? You trade back. You compile picks. So if I have the ability to trade back out of the first round and get – you know, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a future first rounder. You bet I'm going to do that because I could go ahead and draft a Stephon Diggs with that pick, or at least I could have last year. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, Stephon Diggs is producing at the same level that some of those first round wide receivers are producing at. So then what have you done? You've done essentially a one for one trade, acquiring Stephon Diggs plus getting additional picks and future picks. So I call this the golden loom principle, where anytime you can get more assets in the future in a trade, like the Patriots always do, you do that. And then you can always trade those assets down the road to fill needs. So I'm in a league right now with a bunch of other dynasty podcasters, and I traded back a few times in the draft. I acquired future first round picks and some additional later round picks. I still made the playoffs because... I was sure to get two workhorse backs right. with my early picks. That's another part of my strategy is make sure I get workhorse backs. So 
I have Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon. As long as you have Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon, you're probably going to make the playoffs. doesn't really matter who your wide receivers and quarterbacks and tight ends are. I made the playoffs. And guess what? I also had more picks than most of the other gamers this season heading into this draft. And I was able to use some of those picks to acquire Kenny Galladay, to acquire Adam Thielen. And then I traded back in the rookie draft, was still able to get Royce Freeman, unbelievably, and then acquire more picks later in the rookie draft and in 2019 to keep the golden loom going. And the key is you draft running backs early in startups, you draft running backs early in rookie drafts, and you take shots on wide receivers that have the best talent profiles regardless of their situation. And you find out who has the best talent profiles by going to playerprofiler.com and looking at their college dominance metrics like college dominator rating and breakout age and looking at their workout metrics. And you acquire proven performers at the wide receiver position. So that's why I'm happy to go out and trade for a Kenny Galladay, trade for an Adam Thielen, but then draft running backs. Right. Because the running backs do most of their producing early in their career by the time they're 24. The age apex for the running back position is 24 years old. Think about how young that is. They do most of their production that early. That's when you're going to get most of your fantasy points from your running backs. So necessarily, you have to get them in your rookie drafts. And you have to use those early round picks. If you're going to not trade back and you're going to hit the button on a player in the first round of a dynasty startup, he sure as hell be better be a David Johnson level running back talent. If you can't get one of those guys, a David Johnson, a Le'Veon Bell, you trade the fuck back. <laughs> I 100% agree. And I think that answered Brad's question for sure. I think I answered that question. Oh, you did. You, de- I think you definitely I did. answered it. <laughs> I answered that question every different way. You answered the hell out of that question. You like, can you imagine, did. like, if there was a target up in the air and I was like an archer, but I also had like the, the super flash speed? That was like me just you hit like, everyone. Like, <laughs> like from hitting the target with my bow and arrow from like every single direction, you know, within a, a three minute period. You're welcome. You're welcome, Brad. You're, You're welcome, welcome, Brad. You're welcome. Now sign up for player profile. Um <laughs> at Fog7372. He wanted to know which wide receiver with a new team and or quarterback has the best chance for success this season. He says he's asking this because, you know, the general rule of thumb is that, you know, it takes a season for a wide receiver to kind of get acclimated to their new uh-huh. system or quarterback. So uh-huh. is that a rule? I don't know. It's his rule of thumb. Uh, it's his rule I, of thumb. I've, I've never seen data to back up that particular uh, sort of a, a assumption about free agents changing teams. The easy answer is Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson went to a team that was had a complete void in their wide receiver core, and and he fills the shoes as the clear-cut number one primary option in that passing game for Mitchell Trubisky, an ascending wide receiver with a new offensive system and a new head. It's everything, right? It's the whole – it's everything you're looking for. It's the King Caboodle. In a free agent wide receiver landing spot and talent is Allen Robinson. The fact that the Jaguars opted to bring back Marquise Lee and not Allen Robinson is all you need to know about how the Jaguars do business and why they're not going to win a Super Bowl by bringing back Allen Robinson, by not bringing back Allen Robinson, but opting to retain – 
uh, Blake Bortles and Marquise Lee. Right? That's all you need to know, Boo, Jaguars. Jaguars. It's not going to happen for you. Now, if you want to go deeper and look at value, I really like Albert Wilson because Albert Wilson fits the profile of the new NFL slot receiver. The new NFL slot receiver is over 200 pounds, and they have the ability to block defensive backs on these zone stretch runs. And that's what Albert Wilson can do. He played running back at times at Georgia State, as well as some quarterback. So he is a super versatile player and had one of the highest dominator ratings at the college level we've ever seen. And when called upon with the Chiefs, he was productive. He was one of the league leaders each and every season in yards after the catch per target. So he's been right there with Jarvis Landry, with Golden Tate, in yards after the catch per target. He just hasn't had the targets that most other slot receivers have been commanding over the years because he wasn't on the field for a full snap share. Last year he was the third receiver, and the Chiefs – didn't always run three receiver sets and he was competing for targets with Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt. So when you're just one of numerous weapons, and if you look at that Chiefs passing game last year, it was the most efficient supporting cast for any quarterback in the league. When you're just lost in the shuffle of talent, you're not going to command the same number of targets where if you go to a team that's devoid of talent that has no number one option, which is the antithesis of the Chiefs, the Miami Dolphins, well, of course you're going to command a significantly higher target share. And the beauty is he steps right into that Jarvis Landry role. Right. He does the things that Jarvis Landry does. And his so price tag There's is no nice. reason not to be throwing darts on Albert Wilson in the second half of Dynasty Startups and at the end of seasonal league drafts. That price tag is pretty. Yeah, he's one of the least expensive wide receivers that projects to command a starting role in three receiver sets. There's very few wide receivers that will command that role this season that are less expensive than Albert Wilson. And again, there's a story to be told but why a player with his talent profile, a very impressive talent profile based on the advanced metrics, was never fed targets in his first team right after college. But now he's moved to a team that needs him, that decided to overpay him in the first day of free agency. Think about that. Let me ask you this then, because there's another guy that I like similar sort of in that way is Paul Richardson. If you had to choose between those two, who would you choose? I like Paul Richardson in a vacuum better. Mm-hmm. Right. So Paul Richardson was one of the more dominant receivers at the college level we've seen, especially at a Division One program. And when you look at college dominator ratings, he's from that vaunted 2014 draft class. And he had one of the highest dominator ratings of any wide receiver in that draft class. And that just means that at Colorado, he commanded a larger share of the receiving yards and receiving touchdowns than almost any other wide receiver in that draft class. He is special, and I think that he is more versatile than most fantasy gamers and sports analysts believe, that he's a one-dimensional field stretcher. No, I think he's more versatile than that, but my concern is that Washington really wants to unlock Josh Doxson. They really do. I think they're... There's a real passion there. There's a real 
desire and an affinity for to unlock Josh Doxson. The coaches really love what they see in practice because he has a tantalizing upside and ability. It, it, when you, especially when when a guy with that kind of catch radius, Josh Doxson, 99th percentile catch radius on PlayerProfiler.com. You want to get him involved in the red zone. You want to get him involved in all zones. And then the problem is for Paul Richardson, he's not only competing with Josh Doxson, who I think is a coach's favorite player, but also Jamison Crowder, who has historically commanded more targets than the other receivers in this passing game, both Doxson and Richardson. And then he's competing possibly with Jordan Reed when healthy. Chris Thompson. Top five tight in the league, in the passing game at least. And Chris Thompson, <laughs> yeah. one of the league's top satellite backs in the passing game. So the, 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 there, there's a real wealth of versatile passing game weaponry in Washington, like we saw in Kansas City, where Alex Smith was previously. So you could see Paul Richardson just being one of a bunch of guys that is used in Washington and having an Albert Wilson-like season this year while Albert Wilson has something closer to a Jarvis Landry season this year, just based on the offense he finds himself in his and his projected role. So while I love the player in a vacuum, I don't love the situation, and I'm not going out here and overpaying. The beauty is neither Paul Richardson nor Albert Wilson are at all expensive, so there's plenty of teams that I have where – I've drafted Paul Richardson, and then a couple of rounds later, I draft Albert Wilson. Right, you get both. So you get them both guys. I mean, it's not – another uh, a dichotomy would be, oh, Paul Richardson versus Tyler Lockett, the guy that left town versus the guy that's still there playing a similar role. That's as close as it comes. Gotcha. If you want to talk about two players that are similar, they look alike, they play alike, they have similar resumes. It's just that Tyler Lockett is – the locked-in number two option in that passing game, assuming Brandon Marshall doesn't find the fountain of youth, <laughs> whereas it's it's much more opaque of a situation for Paul Richardson. So I'll take the guy that has a clear-cut role versus the guy with the ambiguous role in Paul Richardson. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Um, I just have – Three questions that I want to throw at you. We can do short answer these, and then we'll Three close more this out. questions. We, we're gonna I, want, I want like just yes or no, though. I don't want we, – we don't have to break them down. Um, so do you believe in Andrew <laughs> Luck's – you, you see my face? I'm not being serious. I know. I know. But I want to just – I, 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 I do want to short them, though. I want to do, I want to do just yes or no. Stop answering questions. Stop answering questions. It's not an off button on the pod father. Yes. The pod father just pods, man. That's why I exist. <laughs> Yeah, but I want to, you know, listen, we're going to get yes or no answers, and then they're going to get the draft kit and stuff to, to get why you're giving these answers. How about that? Rapid fire. Okay. Do you believe in Andrew Luck's successful return from injury? Yes, 100%. He'll be under center in week one. Okay. Is Deshaun Watson a top five quarterback in fantasy? No. Okay. Jamal Williams is over Aaron no, Jones. No, let's, wait, let's stop for a second. Oh. You're breaking the system, Matt. I'm breaking the system. You just agreed to the We've system and you're breaking seen, it. We had a couple unprecedented performances last year for a full season or when healthy by two rookies. Alvin Kamara, an unprecedented rookie performance by a running back. It can't continue. Right. Deshaun Watson, an unprecedented performance by a rookie quarterback. 
it simply can't continue. We've seen this movie before. Why continue to believe that this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime talent that is able to double down on previously unprecedented efficiency? No. The touchdown rate is going to come down, and it could crash. That's why I'm not drafting Deshaun Watson in the top five. And with Alvin Kamara, just the per-touch efficiency is going to come down. And that's why I'm not drafting him in the top five running backs. That's fair. With Deshaun Watson, then, where do you see him landing? How far is the fall? Well, we have him projected still in the top 10. Top 10? Okay. Because he has the cheat code. I know that AJ, AJ Green's the cheat code. I think the new cheat code is DeAndre Hopkins. So DeAndre Hopkins is taking the cheat code mantle from AJ Green and Will Fuller. So oh, the two best wide receiver duos in the league are Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. And, and that's just because I'm not quite sure. I, I know Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I need, need to see a little bit more from Juju Smith-Schuster. Just give, give, me, give me a few more games in addition to the single season before we go out and say, oh, best wide receiver duo in the league. But that's what we're talking about here. And uh, uh, that's – a team that supporting cast can can buoy a quarterback. We right. saw that with Case Keenum and, and Sam Bradford last year in Minnesota. So the wide receivers can buoy the quarterback as well as just the overall system, right? So it, you can imagine the Houston Texans storming up and down the field and scoring lots of points. And while the interceptable passes are going to come back into balance because Deshaun Watson had vastly more interceptable passes than actual interceptions. So I believe that he is a, a gunslinger who takes chances. And we like that in fantasy football. Mm -hmm. So he's still a top 10 fantasy football option. No one's saying he's not a top fantasy football option. Top five is going too far. But he is going to be productive in fantasy football. He is a QB1 in fantasy football. But he's not going to be an MVP candidate. Right? In terms of real football, in terms of the things that quarterbacks do to help their teams win games, there will be far too many turnovers this year by Deshaun Watson, I believe, based on the interceptable passes and the danger plays, because we have a danger play metric on playerprofiler.com. And just in seven games, the danger plays and the interceptable passes were terrifying. They just didn't end up being caught. Right? Those fumbles were recovered by the Texans. Right. Those interceptions were dropped by the defenders. When the defenders start squeezing those interceptions and defenders start to recover those fumbles, then all of a sudden we start to get in a situation where we have more of a gunslinger who's prolific, who's no longer efficient, and he's costing his team games, and he's not viewed the same that he's viewed now by football fans and football analysts while yet still being a fantasy force because he can run the ball and he can throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins in the red zone. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I want him to be top five. It's a very I, nuanced answer. It is. <laughs> but right, you wanted to get that. You wanted to answer that. Anyway, though. forget that. <laughs> because think about who else he is. Who does he have to pass? He has to be better than Cam Newton? No. He has to be better than Carson Wentz? Maybe. He's not better than Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. So it's a very high bar. Right, it is. It is. It is. It's a high bar. That's why I didn't want you to have a full chance to answer it. 
but you you did. Um, Go out and and tout a guy with seven games on his resume, seven career games as a top five option. You feel yourself entering a, a land of hot takes. Like you feel the humidity on your skin. Like you feel the heat. Right? It, it, you feel it, like a marshmallow. Yeah, it's it's yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you feel very squishy. You feel very squishy, right? And you know that you're probably in a place where you're, it's just too hot. And you know it. You know mm-hmm. it. In the, in the deepest recesses of your mind, you know it. Too hot, too hot. All right, the last one. Too hot. Do you believe in an Amari Cooper rebound season that gets him inside, like, top 10? What do we chase? We chase touches and targets, touches and targets, touches and targets. So for the same reasons, we're not touting Alvin Kamara. We're not touting Deshaun Watson. We feel like those players are probably overvalued. Right. Right. I'm, try- being, I'm being a bit timid here, but I'm trying to be temper, temper my takes a little bit. <laughs> probably overvalued based on their current ADP. It'll be very challenging for those players to return value at their ADP. It's going to be very easy and very straightforward for Amari Cooper to return value at his ADP. All he has to do is catch the passes. (laughs) Just catch the targets. Put put your hands together. Squeeze the football because the footballs are going to be coming over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So just squeeze them. Just just hold on. That's it. He's going to be used everywhere, all over the field. It is going to be the Amari Cooper offense in Oakland. So, yes, I'm confident that in the fourth round, Amari Cooper is absolutely a value. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So, listen, Matt, we're, we're going we're gonna to close this thing out. Before we do, I want you to tell everybody what's in this fancy draft kit, man. What, 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 oh, this is our signature accomplishment in the history of Roto Underworld is the draft kit. Now, we, we've streamlined it. So imagine a magazine, right? You get a magazine and it's outdated the moment that it lands on the shelf and you're turning through all the pages and it's it's sometimes it's not easy to find the analysis you're looking for. And we decided to take a step back and say, well, what do people like about these magazines? Well, you love the cheat sheets. You love the player analysis. You like the team breakdowns. And that's all we have. So we have cut out everything else and zeroed in on what really matters. So we have PPR, half PPR, and standard cheat sheets, not 200, not 250, a top 300 cheat sheet for all three formats with projected points for every player in every format, including targets, including touches, and then we have the team insights by Ben Gretsch. So Ben Gretsch, the wonderkin from Rotoviz, last year had a series on Rotoviz. It was very popular called Stealing Signals. So he carried over that work, continued to build on it with us. And he did all 32 of our team previews, not only telling a story about what happened last year, what he thinks will happen this year, but also identifying a signature trend that you need to look for with each team. In New Orleans, it's the running back targets. In Tennessee, it's Marcus Mariota's rebound and the the mothballing of the smash mouth offense. So you go team by team. He has signature trends to look for and all the vitals on those teams. So we have vacated targets, vacated touches, the schedule, the coaching staff, the schedule strength. So we've done it all in terms of team-level analysis, player-level analysis, 
because the player level analysis, not only is it written analysis, but also there's over 200 videos on players. And we had a lot of guest analysts join forces with us. Warren Sharp, Evan Silva, JJ Zacharyson, Brad Evans from Yahoo, all contributed to the written and video blurbs on players. So it really is, it's it's special. It's pretty and intense. it all came together. It was, it was a big project. Like I said, the biggest initiative we've ever done. And it came together well. We keep it up to date. So unlike a magazine, well, we just updated it after the Jameis Winston suspension. And if you're going to miss the first three games, then you're probably not worth drafting at the quarterback position in fantasy football. And it's reflected in our cheat sheet. Whereas the magazines, too late. As soon as they print them, they're outdated. They're outdated. But That's not, right. Not the draft. It's something yet. interesting. An interesting thing I saw with the cheat sheet. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. How do you think it's possible that in PPR, half PPR, and standard, Todd Gurley finishes number one on our cheat sheet in only half PPR? Not in full PPR, not in standard, but in half PPR, Todd Gurley's number one. How is that even possible? Only in half PPR? How is it possible? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> one of those backs catch a lot of balls and they pass them. Tell me why it's possible, Matt. <laughs> I don't got an answer. Le'Veon Bell is why it's possible. Okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you. He's number two in PPR. Because number one is Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Because Le'Veon Bell's a better receiver. Gotcha. And he's number two in standard because Ezekiel Elliott is number one in standard because Ezekiel Elliott should dominate the field in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns this season. Somewhere under your music, I did say Le'Veon Bell there. I know I did. <laughs> I wish everybody else was screaming, Le'Veon Bell. They're screaming, all right. Turn this show off. Turn it down. Who is this person? And we're leaving all of that. I'm so agitated. We're leaving all of that. He's so obnoxious. So obnoxious. Listen, Matt, for those who think you're obnoxious or not, where do they find you? Where do they find you on Twitter? What's the websites? What's the podcast? What's all that stuff? On Twitter, at fantasy underscore mansion. The underscore is important. Super important. On the World Wide Web, playerprofiler.com. The R is important, playerprofiler.com. And on iTunes, Roto Underworld Radio. Boom. I will tell you that if you go on Instagram and you try to look up Fantasy Mansion, you will actually find mansions that are in your fantasies. Fan, you know, these huge That's houses. right, yeah. It's you real won't estate. actually find Matt. Yes. So. <laughs> Still a cool Twitter handle. It is. It is really cool. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, that's it for today, man. I, I appreciate you, you know, taking time to do this with us. Um, is there anything else on your end, man, before we close this thing out? Any shout-outs? Anything you want to do? No, I'm no, tired. You did the music. The, music the robot was is shutting down. <laughs> <laughs> the Jeopardy music was exhausting. I understand. Matt, all sports take a break, but with us, there's no halftime. Oh, oh you like that. You like that. Tagline. Nice. <laughs>